Welcome to the Mike Hewitt Show, 10 years and growing. It's about family, business, work, and politics like you've never heard it before. Yep, it's true. There's more than just a touch of wry humor mixed in. And now your host, Mike Hewitt. Folks, I am Mike Hewitt. Co-hosts Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedendorski. Lud, you've got here on the list today. What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> so if you've ever heard of Barstool Sports... It was a fun sport thing that this gentleman named David Portnoy started that's grown to be a multi-million dollar business. And he's very unapologetic. What's his name again? David Portnoy. He's from the Northeast. Northeast of? Like Massachusetts. I think he's from Boston. Okay, somewhere over there. Yeah. yeah on the Lost Coast. Yeah, and he's not one of the Lost Coast people. Okay. A normal, thinking, rational human being. Yeah, in fact, he interviewed Trump a few weeks ago. Anyway, so he is putting on a... When you say he interviewed Trump, did you tell me he's a podcaster? Yeah, but he actually did a sit-down formal interview with President Trump. For his podcast? Yeah, for, oh. for Barstool. Okay, okay, there you go. That's what, That was the part I was getting at. Yep. Go ahead. So he is putting on a pizza festival to help support small businesses. So one of the things that Date Portnoy's done recently, the last couple of years, is he does pizza reviews. He stops at local pizza shops around the country... Takes one, his thing is one bite, rate it, and gives the pizza score, and then helps drive business to those re restaurants. And he does that all over the country. So he's doing this big festival about pizza to drive small business help and whatnot. Lots of sponsors involved, and a Washington Post email was sent from one of the reporters calling him a misogynist and racist, and how do they feel about sponsoring his event? Right. Well, he got word of it. Sure he did. Got the email. So Washington Post, the Washington newspaper itself, Washington Post, yes. sends out an email which just berates this guy. Mm -hmm. Outrageous statements for, anyway, keep going. Yeah, straight up calls him a misogynist and racist, and he calls her. Literally, out of the blue. Literally calls the reporter. Yeah. From the Washington Post. And the qu first question is, did you contact any of my sponsors calling me a misogynist and racist? I never did that. Right. That's what she said. And then he yeah. reads the sentence to her. He pulled the Trump. He pulled out the email. He goes, hang on a minute. You sure? Yep. And reads it. And she goes, well, oh, I did, well, to that one I did. I, I did it that one time. Yeah, that one. But so, so this is a woman. By the way, her gender has nothing to do with it. Yeah. they got to qualify it since that's what she was calling the guy. But none of those things have anything to do with it. She's actually taking a political position, and she's excoriating somebody that she's never had any contact with whatsoever. She's never read, read any of his writings. She's never listened to his podcast. She doesn't know him other than he's a conservative. Yeah. That's the only thing she needed to know. From that point on, he's a racist and a misogynist. I'm telling you, folks. Who on the left, yeah, I know you listen to the show, welcome, by the way, who on the left supports that? Well, the irony in it is he comes up with the idea, well, if you were trying to get their take on sponsoring my event, why didn't you say, how do you feel about sponsoring a pizza event that's helping small businesses? Right. And that's really your reason for it. She goes, well, it's a, a journalistic approach to put in things that are negative to create a conversation so they'll call you back. But here's the point, and listen, we've talked about that over the years. 
because they're flamethrowers. Mm -hmm. They're sensation grabbers. Miles, you I think you're one of the first ones on this show years and years ago that talked about them just selling sizzle. Is that right? That is exactly right. Now, if you, if she were genuinely journalistic minded, she would have called the man and said, I understand that you are a misogynist. How do you feel about it? I understand you're a racist. Tell me I'm wrong. Help me. She would have asked journalistic questions and then wrote an article based on his answers. She just absolutely torched him. Well, we were going to get a hold of you, but we were going to do that tomorrow. At the end. Can, can we schedule a time tomorrow? Let's schedule a time right now. Well, the guy's sitting there. You can watch. We're watching him on our YouTube. The guy is flabbergasted at her bombacity. <laughs> He says, well, why, you're going to call me right before you write it? <laughs> no. He said, I'd like to see it in advance. Well, we don't do that. Well, you did it with an email. Yeah. You wrote all of my sponsors. Well, I mean, <clears throat> folks, I have to tell you, journalism is dead. Wouldn't have you said, like, if you really wanted to do this article, call him and go, look it. We're going to do an article on your event. We're right. going to contact your sponsors and see how they feel about being associated with you. We right. understand that people believe you're a misogynist and a racist. We'd like to find out that's true. Once you start there, Listen, and then if you find that stuff to be true, then call the sponsors at that That's point. what you would, you would do an investigative report. Yeah, you, but she's a food reporter, by the way. Listen, she's really just a political hound. That's all she <laughs> yeah, is. Uh, uh, Mike, face. Yeah, go have, ahead. Have, Mike, haven't you run into the same thing? And I won't mention the paper, but there's a paper not too far from you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm sorry, but I don't hold back. I'm not like that lady. Craig Mauger from the Detroit News. <laughs> this guy says he's a journalist. You follow him on X-File or whatever they call Twitter nowadays. I'm, I've talked about him a few times now on the show. If you, if you go to a journalist's page who writes fat, who does journalistic reporting, investigative reporting... That person, male or woman, I don't care about gender, race, none of that nonsense. If that person is doing honest journalism, they're going to have a pretty solid mix of political people. They're going to have people like me that looks for sources on my news to do this show. They're going to have a lot of people like me on both sides of the divide that want the facts. He's got 95% or so not leftists, not good Democrats that disagree with us on policy, like those folks that are listening to this show right now. Thank you. Not like those folks. Fringe left kooks yeah. is who follows the guy. And he's from a major newspaper. You go, wait a minute. Don't you, doesn't the guy, when he's all done snapping people, doesn't he look in the mirror and go, hmm. So is this who you wanted to be when you grew up? One of my good friends was on WZZM around here, Nick Lefebvre. He actually left the media industry after 25 years. Because of this. Because of this. Because you couldn't tell if he was right or left. You could kind of get a hint, like, on sorry, oh, man, come on, Nick, you don't agree with me on this? And the next door, you're like, oh, there's Nick back. He's back on my side. Because he just reported it. Right. And he left. He's now working in Minneapolis uh, in the uh, hospital industry. Because but he goes, I, this media... Is not what it was. It's not what I grew up in. But listen, it's not just journalism. If you go to school, and I don't care what school you go to, if you're a 10th grader, and you know what the political leaning of your teacher is, 
I don't care, by the way, if that teacher is on our side or the other side. Not to know where that teacher should be able to teach without pontificating politics. And if you're sitting in court, you shouldn't be able to guess what the judge's politics, his politics or her politics has no business in the courtroom or in the jury. Uh, no, I, I just, I, I watch this and both sides love it. They're on my side. I don't want them on my side. I want them to tell the truth. So what's great about this whole story, though, with Portnoy, this thing's going to get even bigger now. Oh, yeah. This event is going to blow up even bigger. Yeah, she made his event for him. She, Yeah, she just, because I didn't know about it. And by the way, I've never heard. You didn't heard, know about it. I've never heard of him, and now we're talking about him on this show. Yeah. Miles, do you know who David Portnoy is? Oh, yeah. He's been around for years. Well, a few more people know about him now. And his event's going to grow and grow. And what's great is it's about helping small businesses, which he did during COVID. He was giving money to small businesses yeah. free, like his own money, not grants. He was helping people. He was helping them out because of what was going on with the government. Now, to me, and I don't... I don't but he's a misogynist racist. And I don't mean this from the political sense, so nobody applaud or boo, but that makes him a patriot. Yeah. And I don't mean a political patriot. I mean an American, honest-to-goodness, real-life patriot. Yeah. That's how I interpret Helping it. out his neighbors' communities without being forced to. And listen, that's what it's supposed to be to be a neighbor. Yeah. I, I'm just telling you, it's a big deal to me. I Watching her, watching that interview with that guy talking to the Washington Post, what a hoot. Folks, we've got to go to a break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You know, when we're at break, folks, we're kind of bantering around the, the differences in people's opinion. The Washington Post food art, article journalist that we were talking about, uh, she absolutely believes that she's doing the right thing. Miles Bauer, that goes to your point. She absolutely right. looks herself in the mirror and goes, wow, you're good. And I, I just find that fascinating. Speaking of fascinating and how different the different sides of the American pie see things, so, the U.S. offers nearly half a million Venezuelan migrants legal status and work permits following demands from strained cities. So, you've got cities like uh, New York City where they're having a, uh, a fit. That, Please come to the United States, but not to New York City. We're, our, our, all of our houses, we're filled up, but, but welcome to America. Just don't come here. How does that work, Miles Bauer? Well, so it, it all goes back to several years ago when all of the blue cities virtue signaled and said, oh, no, you, no, we're, we're sanctuary city. You know, come here. And, and then all of a sudden, when they get faced with reality and they realize the financial price tag of their virtue signal then all of a sudden they're they're uh, screaming at the federal government oh you you got to provide us assistance well mm. <laughs> so was your original virtue signal that was a little hollow then yeah, very hollow but listen what were you do you think guys that maybe what their original goal was 
was just to use those folks to permanently flip Texas, Arizona, Nevada. Was that just a driver to try to make sure that they've got the Western states in, in a, a permanent headlock for votes? Was that really, and they didn't ever dream that they would actually go all the way from the border to New York City or Chicago? They, they uh, may have thought that, but, you know, some, some of the, the, these folks from Central and South America, they are devout Catholics. They are hard workers. They are. They're, and, and by the way, <laughs> I spent seven months in Vegas. I think I've talked about this before, so I apologize. But when I was in Vegas, here's, here's what I learned. I'm going to get, you watch, I'm going to get some more nasty grams. <laughs> Sorry, but when I was in Vegas for seven, a little more than seven months, I, there were three major groups of people. And let me be clear, there were all kind of people from all over the world. But the three major groups of people were California folks, the folks from New York and New, and New Jersey, and, and the other third were um, illegal migrants. And of those three major groups, without question, my favorite were the illegal migrants. And I mean that honestly. They were there to work. They weren't out trying to steal. They weren't trying to flim-flam a deal. They weren't poking the eyeballs. They weren't slicing your tires. They weren't threatening you. They just wanted to work. I, I found them to be pleasant. I couldn't always communicate with them. And I don't want to pay for them, by the way. Let me add that into this mix. I don't. It's not my job to pay for them. So I or anybody else's in America, by the way. But of the three groups, they were easily the best and most easy to get along with. So here's part of the problem, though. They're yep. great people. Yep. I wouldn't mind them as my neighbor. They're they're hard workers. They don't want you as a neighbor, Len. I know nobody does. That's why I'm gonna <laughs> live in the middle of nowhere. But when I have when I when I was in Vegas, I had a Filipino. Um, taxi driver taking us to the airport for a color for a grand grand canyon flight thing and he hadn't seen his wife in seven years right because he was still trying to pay to get her visa to get over here right that's what my one of my biggest issues with this is but why aren't we why did it take seven years and listen and no, why I, get, so much money? I get that and i've told similar stories on the show a number of times but why aren't we in washington dc and in our state capitals debating over fixing the immigration policies of the United States rather than arguing about how many people they can sneak across the border. Yeah, but wait wait, wait a minute, Mike, though. It isn't a matter of fixing. It, we already have the legislation on the books. They don't follow We're it. We're just not following it. Right. But, but when you hear stories, I, I'm a Mason. So all of those that think the Illuminati are trying to flip the world, I'm a Mason, and that's just not true. <laughs> I know. Having said that, one of the fellows that was part of the Masonic Lodge that I'm a member of um, spent, it was like 12 or 13 years, it was in the teens, trying to get him and his family up here legally from Argentina. Sold his business, used everything that he had financially. Was that a successful business? Because he wasn't, you know, one of the 15 million people hanging on a freight train trying to get across the border. And it took him into the teens for years to get here. I think that's a broken system. Uh-huh. I do. I, I want to know who you are, where you're going to go, what your plan is, how you're going to fund yourself, and if you have any diseases that we don't want spread around the United States. That's the stuff that they used to do at Ellis Island. And now when you say it, you're, oh, you're a rotten racist. No, I'm not. 
I want to protect my daughters and my grandkids. Come on. Where Miles is right, we have on the books the way to stop illegal immigration. Right. What you're saying is we need to fix what's on the books for immigration. Right. It's too hard, too it's, expensive. It, it isn't too hard or too big. It's, it, what it is, it's, it's decades and decades. Layers, that's makes of, it hard. layers upon layers upon layers of nonsense from the various Congresses that have come and wanted to put their name on it. We're going to, you know, because the culture in D.C. and in our state legislators, by the way, legislators, is the same. You're a successful legislator if you're passing a bill into law, which means you're going to be taking treasury from folks and reducing their liberty. But they love to have their names on these things. But they don't ever go back and repeal. They just add two. Yeah. Now you've got a crazy pile of nonsense where I will agree with Miles Bauer on the part where we the overall system says don't come in without permission. Mm-hmm. That's the one that everybody ignores on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. So I don't know. That's about votes. I'm saying that again. That's about votes. It is about votes, but Miles is right about that. Do me a favor. Will you play that spot for me? Mike Hewitt here. Imagine the impact on a country of a generations-long, large-scale era of illegal migrant insurgency. Overwhelming numbers of foreigners without an ounce of national allegiance. How about overexpansion and overreach? A period where a nation-state reaches beyond its already vast territories in pursuit of politically dominating its neighbors. A country with a military complex bent on growing its own bloated budgets rather than defending its own borders. Where government corruption is commonplace, ordinary, expected, and government-induced inflation so devalued the currency, the working class became destitute, while the elite few became richer. Citizens taxed on wages, again on purchases, and again on ownership. Citizens forced to compete with illegal aliens who worked outside those laws and taxes, where cultural depravity pretended to be freedom, but Romans told themselves they were invincible. Find the Mike Hewitt Show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You'll like it. I got to tell you, well, um, let me just, Lud, let me put you on the spot because you helped me. First off, the concept was your idea. What is your thought of, about, any thought at all on that? Am I off the rails with that piece? No, not at all. I mean, th- everything's about distraction. It is about distraction. And that's part of, part of what we need to do is to circle back with the Washington Post lady. And you said it then. It was all, it's all distraction. It's all nonsense. Folks, we talked about before we started the show today, if you look back at show notes from three years ago, from four years ago, from six years ago, it's the same thing over and over and over with what the news is spinning. And they keep folks on the edge of their chair, revved and angry. I, I got to tell you, I, I don't, I, I always, I'm one of the people where I hesitate to make the Roman Empire comparison. I do. Why? I, exactly right. And then and then when you brought it up, I started looking at it. What brought the Roman Empire down? 500 and some years in existence, they literally thought that they were... They were invincible. In, totally invincible. Yeah. And there was a period at their peak when they probably were. They controlled much less territory than the United States. But when I look and say, what brought them down? A divisive political culture where they could not advance beyond anything. Everybody was busy with their own little thiefdoms. They re- replaced legitimate thought process with the arena of uh, gladiators, etc. I don't know, folks. Stay with that because we're going to be more on it, but we've got to go to a break. We'll be right back. 
Listen, folks, if you're just tuning in, I am Mike Hewitt, co-hosts Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedendorski. couple things before we get back into the show. First off, just a little my, my brag moment for a second. We're broadcasting from our flag station at WHTC. That's 1450 AM, 99.7 FM, beautiful Holland, Michigan, on the shores of Lake Michigan. Next week, we're going to have Senator Lena Tice back. You guys remember when we had her on a while ago? I She's don't. a state senator. Maybe you weren't here that day. I don't time. think I was here that day. Um, but it, I can't, it doesn't matter. She, what she's going to be helping us get our heads around are what's going on with both Illinois and Michigan funding of the Chinese communist battery plants that are being built in both these states. It's a big deal nationally, folks. And I, I've tried to read it, and I, it's one of those things where like trying to study for an insurance license where you read it like five times and when you get all done you think, I didn't read anything because it's just, you know, a big gigantic blob of words. So I asked her if, if she would join us to give us give us the insight what's really going on in the state capitals that has folks think thinking this makes sense. It doesn't make any sense to me, but it's like we've talked about all along, the left and the right if we if we got together and earnestly tried to describe a coffee cup to a to a Martian, we'd have them very confused because we we see fundamental things so differently, and we think the world is falling apart. The left is going, no, no, more, more. We need more of that crazy stuff. Wasn't she the one that gave us the update on the on the Whitmer Correctional Facility lack of free speech? She is. Yeah, that's exactly okay. right. And listen, one of the reasons. I wanted her back, first off, is she was a dynamite on these topics, folks. And I, we ran out of time with her. This time I've scheduled more time uh, because she was a great, great lady that able to join in a conversation rather than just an interview. And uh, and she's extremely knowledgeable. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting her back on. And yet I remember at the end of that episode, we were disappointed that I didn't keep her on longer, but I had other things that we had to do, so we've got her back. And I, I, I was surprised. I didn't know you folks down there in Illinois, Miles, were, were wrestling with the the Chicom battery factories also. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, we're, we're as blue as blue is. <laughs> uh, it's about to be Chinese red. Chi- yeah, it's just chi- Chinese, uh, Chinese communist blue. There you go. All right, listen, one of the things, Miles, t- tell us bread and circus. What does that mean? Yeah, so what what you were describing in the last uh, segment is basically Washington has adopted the age-old idea of bread and circuses. Provided that you can keep the population fed so that they're not hungry, and then you, uh, which which makes reference to the bread, and then you keep them distracted with meaningless stuff, i.e., circuses. Right. And the um, then you can keep control of the people. What do you think, Lud? No, keep them fed and distracted, and they don't pay attention. And so, in the Roman era, and I'm just following up with that analogy, they had the big spectator gladiator things, and it. it but Rome became a very two caste system, so it the, the regular folks were having a tough time because they had outrageous ramped up inflation. I won't use the term hyperinflation. I don't want to get caught in a trick bag because I don't know what the number was, but it was high. 
And the regular folks were going downhill, not uphill, to quote me from 30 years ago. <laughs> and uh, so I, the similarities are real. But yeah. this isn't hyperbole. This isn't, you know, when you say, oh, they're such a Nazi. No, this, the similarities to this are real. They, they are. But what happens when you do that is you end up with a two caste system. We're, we're so, almost there. So you got the very, very few within our culture now and within the Roman culture then that got grossly rich off of concepts of inflation, et cetera, mm-hmm. and a really, really broken, bankrupt system of political governance was then and is now, in my view, both sides of the aisle. I'm just telling you, it's dysfunctional. And I wrestle with this in my mind a little bit, so Miles, either one of you can set me straight on it. I actually like a dysfunctional or a divided government. When I And I can tell you from Michigan, we spent 40 years here with with the Republicans in control of the state legislatures, and for most of that time with the Republicans in control of the governor's house also. What I noticed when that happens, even when it's the Republicans, is that it gravitates to the center. So they well, they I mean, placate it, they placate the left, so they gravitate left to do it. That comes at a cost. Go ahead, Miles. Isn't that what the founders originally wanted, that they wanted uh, government arguing sure. with e- e- each other. Right. They 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 poetically called it checks and balances, but what they wanted was a food fight. Yeah. They didn't want government to move fast. It purposely is designed to move slow. Yeah, to prevent, uh, well, for lack of better terms, idiotic legislation well, or knee jerk re- knee jerk yeah. reaction to a structure. Patriot Act. So so something Patriot Act is a great example, <laughs> by the way. That's the right. epitome both in how it became to be and what it is, that's the epitome of the opposite of what the founders, of what, and this is a hybrid, let me use the term so I don't get a bunch of more nasty grams, but that's what we have as a democratic republic. We are a hybrid, but we purposely did not want to have things like the Patriot Act. We did not want to have everyone go, oh my goodness, look what happened. Let's entirely destroy the the aviation industry. Let's make sure that your two ounces of shampoo don't blow up the airplane. Let's make sure that we're feeling up the 80-year-old Catholic nun. Folks, what? How does that make sense to anybody? But we're doing it a generation later. Yeah. And it goes exactly to the point we're making overall. The purpose of government was to move slow and think. Let the best argument win. That's what they wanted. Let the, and by the way, I don't always like that. But history's always proven that when the best argument wins, even if I didn't initially like it, that's the one that ought to happen. No, they've taken advantage of the slow-moving government and played politics with it by, like, Obamacare not becoming fully effective for 10 years. Because it's the only way they could have got it paid for. They don't care Without bankrupting the system but the, but day the, one. But that wasn't... That, that wasn't, wasn't the purpose. They, they, they weren't... That didn't happen because the government moved slow. No, that's what I'm saying. Is they're that, taking that idea... And making us think that's why it takes ten years. Yeah, but what they what they were really doing is proving that their their uh, their state of mind is corrupt. Yeah, they can't look you in the eyeball and be honest. Like the Washington Post lady couldn't say yes, I was terrible and I apologize. She owed the man an apology. Those folks owe us an apology. So um, Snyder, Governor Snyder of the great state of Michigan, advanced Med- Medicare expansion. My head flipped off my shoulders when he was doing that. How can you run against run it run against 
the Democratic Party and Obama at the time and act like you're over here when you're actually over there working with them. Yeah, that's the other part of this leg that relates us to the Roman Empire is the amount of government f- subsidies and f- uh, social programs. Give me an example. Medicare expansion, Obamacare, right? Medicaid. So you're saying the Romans had all that nonsense. They started doing a lot of government spending on the people to keep them happy because they couldn't afford things. Yeah, and what folks Make don't, them dependent. And what the folks don't get now, first off, the healthcare industry is in shambles. I'm just flatly telling you with my heart issue, I'm deeply invested in it weekly, have been for a number of years. Again, something I was born with. I've watched it change over my life. And what Obamacare did to the healthcare industry, you're really not seeing a doctor anymore. You're seeing a consultant and a lawyer. You don't know it, but that's who you're seeing. And it, it, it's 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 just an abomination. It's outrageous. But even during COVID, when they were giving food free lunches to all school kids during yep. the summer, those types of things, again, keep them fed, they'll stay home. Right. Keep them up. And that's, by the way, but they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. So I know conservatives, and I can't get too deep into this, but all excited that their children now get free lunches. Why are you excited about someone else buying your kid a lunch? Because I don't want to make it. That's your reason for somebody that's mowing their lawn in Idaho to owe for your child's lunch? How does that? I don't know. I Folks, I genuinely... Don't understand that. We'll get, we're down to seconds, but listen, if you look at healthcare, 1965 before this nonsense started, 5%. Now it's 40% of the average income. I'm just telling you, stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, Miles Bauer, you got to see Ludwig. I wish you were in the studio. He bouncing all over like he can't control himself. What <laughs> is your issue, Ludwig von Wiedendorski? All right. <laughs> I was surprised you weren't all over this like a fat kid on at a birthday on the cake. Cause what are you trying to say about me? This topic, the fact that <laughs> Senate Ma- Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has now told all the sergeant-at-arms yeah. <laughs> in the U.S. Senate to disregard all dress codes. Right. That even if Fetterman walks in with this sleeveless hoodie and gym shorts. He did. He hasn't walked into the chamber yet. Well, he had his hoodie on. He threw his, he poked his head in, but he couldn't actually enter the chamber. Now he can. Okay. And I saw some, some Republican plans on wearing her bikini. Hopefully not. That's Susan Collins. You don't want her to do that? I prefer not. I probably won't tune in, tune in that day. (laughs) That's very misogynistic of you. Shame on you. Listen, I thought you'd be all over this. I'm just glad Miles Bauer and I, make up the core foundation of morality for this show, and we don't think that way. I don't think this is a good thing at all. You just were all excited about Susan Collins in a bikini. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, no. You know what? I am, because that means she won't get reelected. Folks, what what you got to understand, even though he's done such a terrible job coming out of the gate. (laughs) I'm too excited for this one, because you you complain all the time that people don't dress for press and dress for work anymore, and they won't go to the ballgame in their wool suits. Yet, the U.S. Senate... Wait, stop for a second. I've documented for you... That nobody went to the ball game in a wool suit. That's so stupid. Of I've you to seen say that. the pictures. You don't know what you were looking at. World War Two, World War Two, and stuff. I've documented it for you. I've sent you it for you. I've sent you links with pictures, literally of the times 
So, folks, you got to understand, this is probably a six, seven year long debate. I, I'm the guy that when I went to, I went, I went to California, 1984, I got my Ronald Reagan outfit on, double-breasted suit, wingtip shoes, white shirt, red tie. They're all going, you must be from the East Coast. No, I'm from Michigan. See? East Coast. I didn't understand it then. I, Folks, and, and by the way, so we're, we're a, a few years later, I still don't understand it. Yeah. I was going to a business meeting. I dressed to go to a business meeting, not to the park. Yeah. And they're all wearing cup. They look like you do right now. No, I they, don't. I'm not. I'm dressed up for radio. I'm not dressed up for TV. I'm not dressed up for a board meeting. I think there's appropriate clothing you wear to each. And the U.S. Senate, the appropriate attire is business professional suit, tie, professional dress, whatever it being. It You are supposed to be the representative of professionalism. So, yeah, but it, but it's changed. So I recently I went to a to a church that I don't normally go to, to to honor one of the family members with uh, what they were going through at that church. I'm in a suit. That's how I go to church. I'm sorry, what I do. It's how I was raised. It's who I am. They're looking at me like you didn't have to wear a suit. Although this is Sunday, this is how I go to church. All your Sunday best now is a polo shirt and khakis. I don't think you belong in church when you do. I'm just, uh, folks, I know I'm going to get yelled at from both sides of the divide. I get it. I'm a, I'm a proud dinosaur, but I don't think you dress. I think it's a question of personal respect, and it's also a reflection of how you see the people around you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you, because you become the people, you become the person that you associate yourself do with. Do you have a problem with people. this? Yeah, I do. So we agree. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the Senate shouldn't. Miles Bauer, you can jump in with some common sense. What say you, Miles Bauer? I was going to say, Mike, do you remember back in the day when you would get dressed to go on an airplane? Yes, absolutely. And now, do. now today they'll will they'll they'll wear like sweatpants and a sweat top. Yep. And I think. And I think, Lordy, Lordy, I hope I'm not sitting next to that bum-looking person. That's what I think. I'm just being honest with you. And I, I'll really get myself in the soup, but when I pass those folks, usually they've got tattoos all over their, their arms, their face, their fingers. they got rings on their nose and in their lips. I'm going, what the heck happened to you? I'm sorry. I think it's a question of self-respect. And I am told that they're being renegade, that they're they're making a statement. Okay. I'm just telling you how other people, in this case, this old guy, that's how I see it. I think you need a psychiatrist in a wardrobe, by the way. So are we out of the times when you show up for a business meeting and you check out the, your, uh, I don't want to say opposition, but whoever you're dealing with, watch and shoes? It was a big statement. Did you have a nice watch and did your shoes look clean? And if you were, then you were legitimate. I don't, I don't know about that, but I think clean had something to do with it. I mean, if you're sitting, if you're sitting, you've got a Timex and the guy next to you has got a Rolex, you might notice that. But I've been to a lot of meetings in my life for business. Um, I don't ever remember checking people's shoes and watches. I don't care about that stuff. But I do. But it, to me, shoes shined. You didn't care if they were scuffed or shined. I, you know what? In truth, honest, let me just because I've been teasing a little bit. Yeah. I didn't notice that stuff. Now, if they just walk through a cow pasture, yes, I noticed it. Um, but I, I mean, if, if I <laughs> walk, wasn't in, by looking at it. If I walk into a to a like a boardroom, a conference table meeting. Yeah. And there's eight people sitting there, and most of them have 
dresses or pantsuits and ties on, and there's one person that is dressed like you right now, nothing personal, that person sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. They just do. And I always ask myself, I'm just being candid with you, does that person look themselves in the mirror and say, yep, you look like you're ready to go sit at a meeting with people from all over the United States to discuss the proper course of this country's politics? And the answer is no. No. Go home and take a bath and put some clothes on. That's And I know I'm a dinosaur, folks, so I've been having a little bit of fun with Lud. Don't, don't be mad at me. But to me, personal respect is how you present yourself. How people first see you is how you decide you want them to see you. And if that's how you want people to see you, then good news. That's how we're seeing you. Now, I know professionals like Mark Cuban when he quit his last. Who? Mark Cuban. Yeah. I know you say who, but he's a multi-billionaire. I, I don't care how much money he's got, dude. <laughs> I just don't. He uh, was one of the first people to syndicate sports from the U.S. to overseas. Yep. And... Uh, owns the Mavericks now and multiple other businesses he's invested in. He said when he left his last nine to five, he took his tie off and said, I'll never wear one again. Right. There's this personal premise. Now he wears a suit and shirt. So right. I will never wear a tie again. So when I was running dealerships, I had this big wad of keys and some old guy says, you know how to measure success? No, by how few keys you have. I think some of those old lessons are important. Yeah. So he's the guy was really successful. He had a key to the front door, didn't care about anything else. Because other people handle that. He's got. I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. And by the way, you need to do this. And I and I've worked for folks that if you were not there with a suit coat and a white shirt, you were leaving. Yeah. No, I had a teaching job where I had to wear a suit and tie. <laughs> Yet the students were coming in, in pajama pants and and oversized t-shirts. I think that Miles, you've you spent a long time in higher education D is that the way they dressed in the worlds that you went that you uh, uh in the schools you attended oh yeah yeah exactly <coughs> i mean through throughout my high high school years we had to, to wear coat and tie now you went to private school right yeah yeah my kids go to, to private school they wear uniforms they do but and listen i went to a parochial school in elementary school and it's even changed from now because now it's like polos. It's not even dress, shirt, and tie except for one day a week. When, when I went through, we the, the girls had skirts. Everyone, yeah. all the ladies, all the, the young females, they all had matching skirts. And the fellows all had to wear slacks. They wasn't part of a uniform, but they were slacks. And you had to have a shirt, and everybody had the same shirt on. Um, and, and I think, listen, when we're talking about bullying, when you get 6th, 7th, 8th grade, kids get mean. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the areas that causes meanness is the way we're dressing nowadays. Well, do you know that uh, inner city schools have a lot of them went to these dress codes, yep. and they've seen performance of grades actually increase because they're no longer worrying about impressing each other. But but listen, it, it, the, the the truth of that part of it, and by the way, you're correct. I agree with you. But one one of the things that's it is a state of mind. If you work at home and you dress and you go sit down to do your work in your PJs. You don't get nothing done. You get up, get dressed, get cleaned up, and pretend like you're going to a board meeting. Boom! You're going to have a big day now. Yeah. Truly, it's a state of mind. It really is. Miles, you've worked for years in the kind of atmosphere I just tried to describe. Am I right when I say that? Well, so I've had remote jobs, and I've had jobs where I, I had to be on site. Right. And 
I think it really comes down to the uh, person. Whether I'm sitting on my couch or whether I'm sitting in an office, I still work just as hard. Ooh. I, you know, you got to throw that in the last minute here because Mike's going to, oh, man. What? Uh, he's uh, right. No, you, you, how's he right? If I say to you I want to dress that way because that's how I feel, you're like, no, no, suit and tie. Unfortunately, we don't have enough time to get yeah. into it, Ludwig. Here we go. Another last minute for Ludwig type <laughs> Here's thing. the difference. I've known him almost five decades. I've worked with him. I've been a business partner with him. What he just said is true. But it's also extremely unusual, which is why I was willing to be a business partner with him. I agree with him, though. So, listen, <laughs> Miles, he lost that. Folks, we've got to go, but please be safe. We will see you next week. <laughs>